for kids to clean the room. Guys, how many times do I have to tell you to get this job done? What is it going to take you for to recognize? Uh, but I think that that's probably not what Paul's doing here. I don't think that he's sort of saying, would you just rejoice? I, I, I firmly believe that he is saying, rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. My dad sent me a text a couple of weeks ago reminding me uh, of a song that he used to play for us every Sunday morning uh, as he would get ready for church. And it was by an Ozark bluegrass band. And the name of the song was Hot Dog at Sunday Morning Again. And uh, he would play it for us. And it made us, uh, when I was younger, it made me super happy to hear it. I was thrilled. And it was, yes, I must rejoice. Hot dog at Sunday morning again. Uh, later on in life, obviously, as I became a teenager, I was like, oh my goodness, are you really going to play that song again? <laughs> but there's a sense here that Paul is continuing to say, a sure sign of the gospel in your life, a sure sign that you are grasping what living the Christian life is, is joy. Now, it's interesting, I think a lot of times when we think about followers of Christ, when we think about ourselves in that way, we oftentimes maybe think of, oh, I don't know, Monty Python and the Holy Grail, and we think of the monks at one of the very beginning scenes as they're walking along singing about Christ's mercy in Latin, which would be a traditional song for them to sing, and then hitting themselves on the head with, with a, a piece of wood, uh, and it just doesn't collate, you go, that doesn't make sense. Or maybe we think of those who are solemn and, and, and reserved and they feel like that uh, I have to wear all black and we think about those who separate themselves from the world and it doesn't seem like a picture of joy at all. Sometimes we've experienced those who say they're followers of Christ that have Jesus in their life and we want to look at them and say, could you tell your face that? Because you definitely aren't smiling enough to have really experienced the joy of Christ in your life. So I think there's a sense of that that we have sometimes in our lives when we think of joy and what that means. At the same time, I think sometimes in some places we've experienced as followers of Christ, as Christians, maybe that group of Christians that sometimes are so saccharine sweet, so syrupy with that sort of joy that they don't recognize that the strife and struggle that are going on in the world. And so oftentimes you might be with some of them and they're like, but God's doing a good thing. God's always for you. Come on, let's give God a big cheer, you know? And you feel like, well, yeah, but have you looked at the world and have you seen my circumstances and do you know what's really going on? But they just are, yeah, you know, let's be happy. Come on, everybody get happy. Don't worry, be happy. It'll, it'll all work out. She'll be right. And we think to ourselves, yeah, but do you see the world? Do you see my life? Do you see what I'm going through? And so it's neither one of those. What Paul is showing us here is the third way. And it's really super interesting that he comes right out of talking about that we are in Christ. If you remember a couple of weeks ago, we talked about the fact that we have a responsive rest in the completed righteousness of Christ. That we are in Christ. That our whole identity, all of who we are, those of us who are in Christ, who have been bought by him, who have been brought in to this new family and new kingdom, those of us who have recognized that the revolution has begun and that God has changed the world, that he's set it back right, that we are in Christ, that our whole being rests there. And immediately after that, it's as if something clicks in Paul's mind and he goes, 
By the way, if you're all in Christ, you two ladies need to get things situated. If you remember the sermon last week, it's about reconciliation and that there should not be any division and there should be unity. Now that's not just an aside, see? That's not just something that cropped up. It's based on the fact that he says, if we're in Christ together, if we're the new men and women, this new body that God is building, then we can't be opposed to one another. And then he moves into this passage. And he says, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. This is actually what it looks like for those of us who are in Christ. This is how we live our lives. Now, it's not a checklist. It's not something that we go, am I doing this? Am I doing this? Am I doing this? Am I doing this? It is, in fact, a response that we have automatically by Christ living in us. I want you to pay attention here. There are some things that he tells us that we should be about. What does he say? He says, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. Now, just as an aside, that's the ESV version, that's the English Standard Version, and that's how they've used that word, reasonable. Now, that's not the best way to translate that word, and so it's not my favorite translation. It really is gentleness, is what it's talking about there. So when we think of reasonableness, what can sometimes happen is we think, we'll make sure we're thinking the right way, that we're reasonable people. And what he's saying is not that we're reasonable, although we are. Some of us. It's that we're gentle. It's that we know where mercy comes from. And in knowing where mercy comes from, it moves us to mercy for others. That we're gentle with one another. Catch. He's just talked about these two ladies getting back together. And what does he say? Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Let your reasonableness, let your gentleness be known to everybody. That the way that we interact with one another, the way that we step into conflict with one another and are resolved and reconciled to one another and have joy in it, shows our gentleness to the world. That we can't just let our broken relationships continue to go on. He says, let your gentleness be known to everyone, for the Lord is at hand. Now that could be two things. It could mean he's talking about the Lord is coming back, and it could be any moment. It also could be that the Lord is always with you and in you, since you're in Christ, you're with him. So some commentators that do this uh, talk about this passage say it's only this. Some say it's only this. I'm a both-and kind of guy. Let's just say it's both-and. Because <laughs> it works, right? We know that the Lord is coming. We don't know the hour or the day, but we know that he's coming. The time is at hand. It's favorable for us to move into joy. It's favorable for us to move into mercy. But we also know that in Christ, I'm always with Christ, and he is at hand. He is near. He promised to never leave us or forsake us. That he is always present, ever there. So then he says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, will surpass all under, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Catch it. There are that words again. In Christ Jesus. Where is our identity? Where do we reside? Where is our whole life? It is only in Christ. He holds us completely in it. And we see here then, so signs that we are in Christ is this, that we rejoice, that we are gentle, that we are prayers. 
that we seek God, that we're not anxious about anything, and that we have this peace that passes all understanding that resides in God himself, affecting us and moving in us, living in us. See, one of the reasons why we move into anxiety and anxiousness is because we don't trust that God actually has it all under control and figured out. And so what Paul is reminding them is to say this, take your eyes off yourself and turn them to the Lord. He does it very gently there. He says, don't be anxious for anything, but in everything, no matter how small or trivial it might seem, we bring it to the Lord. Why? Because he delights in us. Because he loves us. Because he's placed us in his son. He can't get enough. And he longs for us to say to him, Daddy, I'm nervous about this. Daddy, I'm worried about this. Daddy, I need this. He longs for us to do that. And so Paul reminds us, if you are in Christ, you have this great place where you can pray to God, where you can speak to the creator of the universe, the one who holds it all together. And your anxiousness will move away, not because it goes away, not because of the circumstances get changed automatically, not because you've rubbed some lamp and the genies popped out and said, yes, three wishes and I'll get rid of it. Why? Because our eyes have moved from the temporal to the eternal. Because our eyes have moved away from the peripheral to the center. The center is God. He's the one who holds it all together. And when we look to him in our prayers and petitions, we see that there is no need for us to be anxious. Now, the beauty of this is that this book is not just to you as an individual. It's to the body. (laughs) And that means that there are times in your life where anxiousness will overcome you. But you are not. That yes, God is ever-present, Christ is always with you, but that he has also placed you within a body of people who feel and trust and believe the same thing. And that we are here to carry one another and care for one another and hold one another and encourage one another and to urge each other on. And so sometimes it will feel like life is falling apart. And let's be honest, it is. But you are not. We are here, together, in this moment. That's the reason why earlier he says, you guys have got to get this worked out. (laughs) You can't be separated like that. You must be reconciled and be joyful. Then he says to us this, more than anything, in all things, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, Whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if anything is excellent or anything is worthy of praise, think on these things. Wow. Now, oftentimes, we'll want to look at a list like that and we'll want to go, can I get a definition of those? Can you give me the right spelling so that I can make sure I've got these right? Perhaps the purest definition for these things is this, that they all describe Christ. Christ is the one who is the truth. 
Christ is the one who deserves all honor. Christ is the one who brings justice. Christ is the one who is pure. Christ is the one, although in human form he did not attract much attention, was lovely. He is the one who is commendable. He is excellent and worthy of all praise. So it's not just some action that we have to move towards. It's not just some ethereal sort of mystical thing that we must assent to. It is a person. It is Jesus. Because when we think about Jesus, when we dwell on who he is, why? Because our Hearts and our minds are already protected by the peace of God in Christ Jesus. In that moment, we're moving away from worry. We're rejoicing because we're praying and seeing God. He's protecting us in his peace. We're able to focus solely on Christ. And in doing that, we move to a place of what? Being covered by God's peace. Being able to rejoice. I think one of the most interesting things to me when it comes to sin patterns that we have in our lives is this. We, we think to ourselves, if this is true, if, I, if I'm in Christ, then shouldn't I be overcoming certain things in my life? Shouldn't there be things that I no longer get bogged down in? And we read passages like this and we're like, well, I'm just not thinking enough pure thoughts and I'm just not thinking enough true thoughts and I'm just not thinking about the lovely things or the excellent things. Maybe this is just me, guys, so if it's just me, let me talk it out, all right? But I think sometimes what happens is we think, oh, all right, I want to get rid of this thing that I, I need to get rid of this thing so that God will love me even more. We, we do think that way. That's not the truth. God loves you more than he could ever love you right now, right where you're at. But what we do is we take our eyes off of Christ and we put our eyes on the thing. That thing we want to overcome. That thing we want to, we, we want to stop doing. And then what are we thinking of? Are we thinking of the lovely? Are we thinking of the pure? Are we thinking of the true? No. We're thinking of my pride, and we're thinking of my anger, and I'm thinking of my lust, and I'm thinking of my addictions, and I'm thinking of... Look, the Lord knows, because he created us, that what we think and what we believe is what we do. So if I think on the things that are Christ, and my heart moves to believing those things through his power and giving me faith, then I move to doing those things. But if I'm thinking I'm the one that has to get over these things and I need to focus on how to build a system to protect me against them, then inevitably I will move to them. It's nothing new. Eve and Adam very beginning. When Satan says, surely the Lord didn't tell you you can't eat of this tree. She said, oh, he said we can't eat of it and we can't even touch it. Now that's not what the Lord said. The Lord said don't eat it. Now that might mean don't touch it. But that's not what he said. So was her focus on saying, no, no, yeah, the Lord told me I shouldn't eat it. And he's good and right. No, she said, no, we shouldn't touch it, plus I probably shouldn't, I shouldn't eat it, but uh, plus I shouldn't touch it. What's she thinking about? 
the tree, <laughs> the fruit. And where does she move? And where does Adam move? Look, Adam's right there, guys. Adam's standing there. Okay? It's not like I, I, she's searched him out. <laughs> Why? Because it was good to the eyes. Pleasing to the soul. Why? Because I took my eyes off of God. I took my eyes off of what is pure and what is true and what is holy. My mind and my heart moved me to a place of distrust. And so he says to them, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if anything is excellent or if anything is worthy of praise, think about these things. And then he says this, and this is where people think Paul can be arrogant sometimes. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Now Paul has admitted his failings. He's admitted in other places that he was not as pure as he could be. He's not bragging here. But he is saying, this should get viral. And sadly, right now, I know what viral is all about. I told you earlier today that I'm not feeling well. I'll let you know that a majority of our team from, that went away to Bali a couple of weeks ago are not here today because there was somebody that was sick that was on that trip, and that person loved on somebody else who loved on somebody else who played with somebody else who loved on somebody else who played with somebody else who swam with somebody else who maybe took a drink after somebody else. And there were multiple of us in this group of 40 that got laid low by a sickness. It was viral. We all followed the person that went before us. That's what Paul's saying here. He, he's not saying, be like me. What he's saying is, if we're in Christ, and we are the ones who are filled with joy, who don't worry about anything, who show our gentleness to all around, if we are those who have our minds and our hearts protected in Christ by the peace of God, and we are those who are thinking of Christ at all times, then we should be viral. We should be affecting those around us. They shouldn't help but be caught in that unbelievable pursuit of God to them. That we can't help but spread it. Why? Because we're joyful. We're not hitting our heads with boards and we're not being all solemn and frowny. They look at us and they can't tell what is different, but they know something is. So if you're here and you've been at a place and you've recognized that Christians seem pretty dull and they don't seem very happy either, let me be the first to apologize to you and say that it should not be. It should not be. We are those who are caught up by God. And if we are caught up by God, then we cannot help but be joyful. We are those who our minds, though we so much want to focus on what is pure and right and holy and true, sometimes get caught just like everybody else in the world with the little things that take place and the things that happen. 
But the one thing that we know is that Christ has us. That we are protected where? In the peace of God. That that peace will be with you. And where does that peace come from? Only from the person of Jesus Christ. And so we're sorry that sometimes we're so solemn. Please forgive us. Give us another chance. Know that we are not just happy people, because we're not always happy, but we are joyful people. And that we have peace. We want you to have peace, too, in the person of Jesus Christ. And for those of us who have been following Christ for a long time, think on these things. Put Jesus as the center of your heart and mind. Think about his goodness, his purity. Think about how honorable he is, his truth. Know him and know him completely. Dig deep into the mercy of God. Show your gentleness. Show your joy. Show the peace that you have. Don't worry about anything. In all things, seek God first. And as Jesus said, the kingdom will be given to you. Let me pray. Jesus, bless us. Let us hear your words today. If these aren't your words, please tear them apart, make them dust, and make them fly away. But if they are, we pray, Father, that they will take root in our hearts and that they will bear good fruit for your good pleasure. It's in your name we pray. Amen. We're going to